Greetings, Bethel community. I hope you're all staying warm and safe and dry during this rainy season here on the Central Coast. This Sunday, January 15th, 2023, is the second Sunday in Epiphany, where we continue talking about who Jesus is and what that means for us. This Sunday, we're kind of backing up a little bit and returning to John the Baptist. We haven't talked much about John the Baptist here the last few weeks, except for mentioning when he was in Elizabeth's womb and he jumped at the sound of Mary's voice, if you remember that from about a month ago. Usually, Advent is the time for John the Baptist, though. John was an actual historical figure. There are several historical documents that talk about him from that time period. He was known. He was famous in the region. He had disciples. But in the Gospels, we learn what his function was, and that was to prophesy about Jesus. We kind of skipped over him this Advent because of our theme of from generation to generation. But usually, Advent is the time where we hear about him, this wild man of the desert in his camel's clothes, eating locusts, who the church often doesn't really know what to do with because he's loud and brash and refers to people as a brood of vipers and things like that. He can be a bit frightening and unexpected and sometimes not very nice. But he does have that very important job to do, and that is to point to Jesus, as we'll see today. And today's reading actually introduces Jesus as an adult for the first time and includes the very first words that Jesus speaks in the Gospel of John. So I'm going to ask you to do three things this morning, if you're able to, while you're listening to this. First, if you have a Bible handy, pause this podcast for a minute and go read Isaiah 49, one through seven. That was our first reading for today. I'm not going to read it because then this recording would be super long. I do refer to it in the sermon. If you can't do that right now, don't worry about it. Just be aware that I'm going to mention it. And when you have time, sometime. That's Isaiah 49, one through seven. Can't miss Isaiah if you've got the opportunity to hear those words. The second thing is that as you're hearing or reading the gospel passage, as I read it, in a minute or so. That gospel passage is John 1, verses 29 through 42. Listen for what verbs are used in the text. What are people doing? And what effect do those things have on other people? And finally, the third thing is, since this weekend we here in the United States are honoring the life and legacy of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., I'm going to quote some lines from his I Have a Dream speech. There's no way that I can do his words justice. Um, I'm going to put a link on the Bethel website along with this recording where you can read or watch the, ser- the speech for yourself, which is 100 times better than what I'll be able to communicate. But in case that's not something you're able to do right now, I will be reading some of it for you. Okay? All right. Awesome. Let's get to it. A reading from the Gospel of John the first chapter. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. 
I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified, this is the chosen one. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here's the Lamb of God! The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The word of the Lord. May the grace and peace of God be with you wherever and whenever you are hearing this. Okay, I don't know if you've seen this movie, but there's a movie that came out a little while ago called Knives Out. I'm talking about the first one. There was a sequel that came out about a month ago, but I'm talking about the first one. And in case you haven't seen it, there is a character in the movie that can't lie. Well, she can, but if she does, she throws up, so it's not very pleasant for her. And that fact, the fact that she can't tell a lie without people knowing it, plays a big role in how the murder mystery in the movie is solved. And you might think, oh, that sounds wonderful, to have somebody around you who you know is telling you the truth. But like I said, the character in the movie probably would tell you that it's not such a great thing. It makes me think of an even older movie, if you remember this one, A Few Good Men, back from the 1990s, where Tom Cruise yells at Jack Nicholson, I want the truth. And Jack Nicholson yells back, you can't handle the truth. That's the famous line from that movie. There's just a lot of things that nobody wants to hear. There's so many things that people don't want to see. And then we have the first words of Jesus in the Gospel of John. Biblical scholars get really excited about things like this because in every gospel, the first words that Jesus is recorded as saying kind of sets the tone for the rest of that book. And for John, the first words, like we heard just now, are, what are you looking for? In the gospel of John, the idea of visibility, of seeing, of truth is a huge theme. People who are blind, seeing more clearly than those with eyesight, secrets that are hidden only to be revealed, light being brought into darkness, the path being lit before us. And in this little 13-verse passage from John, you kind of get a quick summary of the gospel as a whole. If you paid attention to the verbs, you get a whole story right there. John sees, and he testifies, and his disciples listen, and then they look, and they see, and they follow, and they find more people, and they testify, and so on. And Jesus sees them back and he asks, what are you looking for? And their answer is kind of a lame one, if you ask me. They ask him where he's staying. I don't know if that's what I would ask Jesus if I met him, but who knows? I probably couldn't think of anything either. 
They knew based on the little that they'd seen and heard that they wanted to be around him. But they didn't really know him. They didn't know what he was all about. So I love how Jesus's answer isn't just an address or a set of coordinates about what he was staying, but an invitation. Come and see. It could be that these disciples didn't actually know what they were looking for. They just somehow got the sense that Jesus would show them something. They did get a pretty big clue, though, from John the Baptist, because he gives Jesus quite an introduction. He proclaims, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God is often agreed to be a reference to the Passover lamb. In the Gospel of John, Jesus' death is very clearly linked to the Passover sacrifice, which was of a lamb. The Passover sacrifice was not a sin offering. It was not an atonement sacrifice. It was a sacrifice of thanksgiving to God for deliverance, for rescue from Egypt, for leading the Israelites from slavery into freedom, from darkness into light. And I had tried to promise myself that I wouldn't go into any Greek words today because I seem to do that a lot, but a couple of the commentaries that I read to prepare for this sermon brought up what I think is an important point. That in the phrase, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the Greek word that some translations write as takes away can mean remove, but more literally it means lift, either to lift and carry or to elevate something high to make it visible. So in this case, we have the Lamb of God who lifts up the sin of the world. It's an intentionally vague phrase. But I don't know if that's usually something that people come to church to see. It's not a surprise that this is what John the Baptist was looking for, because John the Baptist was a prophet. And in the biblical definition of the word, a prophet's job is not to predict the future. A prophet's job is to tell the truth. About 50 years ago, a biblical scholar named Walter Brueggemann wrote a book called The Prophetic Imagination. It's a really good book. And in it, he detailed that the biblical prophets always carry a twofold message from God. They were to proclaim the world as it truly is, with all of its bumps and bruises and blemishes, stripping away any illusions that the human culture or authorities present that say either everything is just fine or that their authority is the answer to all of life's problems. And on the other hand, prophet's second job was to present God's vision for how the world is supposed to be. As Brueggemann says, a prophet, quote, dismantles the politics of oppression and exploitation by countering it with a politics of justice and compassion. Kind of like exposing the sin of the world and carrying it away from those who are being smothered beneath it. Now, this verse is one that anyone who attends Bethel learns pretty well. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. We sing it before communion every single Sunday. But there is one variation between the Lamb of God verse in the gospel and the Lamb of God song that we sing before communion. I don't know if you caught this, if you're, if you're aware of this, but it's that sin in the gospel is singular not plural. It's not takes away the sins. That's not a typo, and it's not insignificant, because this verse 
isn't talking about all the little everyday sins you might think of, not the little check marks on the naughty list or mistakes or shortfalls. When sin is singular in the biblical sense, it means sin with a capital S, the large scale, global, seemingly overwhelming wrong that there is in this world, the societal, institutional things that we can never quite get our hands around, Classicism, racism, sexism, nationalism, homophobia, hate, violence, death. In other words, the politics of oppression and exploitation. Is this what we follow Jesus to see? Now we might, because it sounds amazing. Who wouldn't want all of these horrible things taken away? But we also have to remember that these things exist for a reason. Because somebody profits from them. And to remove them is to upset that somebody and disrupt that somebody. And sometimes, oftentimes, that somebody is us. Which is why it can be hard to listen to the prophets. And we might want to dismiss them as bringers of doom and gloom. Nobody wants to be the one to tell the truth because very few people want to hear it. Like Isaiah says in Isaiah 49, 1 through 7, he says, God made my mouth like a sharp sword. He made me a polished arrow. And things don't usually turn out well for tellers of the truth. John the Baptist was beheaded, if you remember, and we all know what happened to Jesus. But what I absolutely love about the prophets, about Isaiah, Jeremiah, John the Baptist, and Jesus, who did not just deliver the message, but as Messiah fulfilled it, was that they never end with doom and gloom. That those who today take out and proclaim only those passages are only telling half the story. The Lamb of God does not just expose the sin of the world, but takes it away. Isaiah's truth was not just a sharp sword, but the message of the city on the hill, the light for the nations, so that God's salvation can reach to the ends of the earth. Do we still see and hear this twofold message? It's a difficult line to walk. It's all too easy to get stuck on either a single message of the faults of the world or a single message of the promise of glory. A lot of churches pick a side and refuse to waver from it. Some pastors will tell you in every sermon only that Jesus loves you unconditionally, which is true. Or some pastors will stand up and tell you in every sermon that Jesus wants you to work to change the world, which is equally true. We hear this even in Jesus's greatest commandment to us, to know that we are loved by God and also called to love others accordingly. Sometimes it's difficult to see both sides of the same coin at the same time. But the beauty about following Jesus is that we don't have to wrestle with this all by ourselves. The Holy Spirit allows us to live in this world of contradictions. The vision and the path are not ours after all. Our job is to see, hear, speak, and follow that which God sets before us. And we also know that other disciples of Jesus are traveling the same path as us. As those of us who get a holiday this week already know, this is the week that we remember Martin Luther King Jr., who we all know was a great civil rights leader, but we tend not to talk very much about the fact that he was a preacher and, you could very well say, a prophet. 
In fact, most of his sermons and writings follow the prophetic formula that I am just talking about. The Reverend Dr. King was a master at denouncing the politics of oppression and exploitation and countering it with a vision of justice and compassion. His message was centered around calling attention to the sin of the world and working to lift the burden of it off of those who suffered under it. Are you starting to see the pattern? Many people know of his I Have a Dream speech. Like I said, if you haven't heard it recently, I urge you to find it online. When this speech is quoted, though, it tends to be the dream part that is talked about, the ideal part, the nice second part that everybody likes to hear. But he starts out with the first message of the prophet's vision. He decries the, quote, manacles of segregation and the chains of discrimination. He speaks out against a society in which black men and women, quote, languish in the corners of American society and find themselves in exile in their own land. In which America was founded in what he says is a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And he says, it is obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. That's not quoted very much in schools or on TV. We still don't like to see or hear it. But through both the prophets and Jesus, God has always called us to see the sin of the world, to expose it and to not look away. And like the best of prophets, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., refused to stop there. I'm going to read a section of his speech. I know I am not a prophet, nor am I a gifted preacher. And if I had the technology to do it and the rights or whatever it takes, I would stitch in with this recording, a recording of him giving the speech. But since I, I don't have that, I'm just going to read it. And I invite you to sit back and really listen to the longing for the world as it is not yet the dream that has to just be dreamed right now because it's not a reality. And the vision for the way that our faith teaches us God knows it can be. Pay attention to the way his dream is grounded in this faith. The Reverend Dr. King wrote, Let us not wallow in the valley of despair, I say to you today, my friends. And even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day, even in the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama with its vicious racists, with its governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification, one day right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. 
I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted and every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain and the crooked places will be made straight and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope and this is the faith that I go back to the south with. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of a nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. May we all dream the dreams of prophets. May we all follow the call of Jesus. And may we all witness to it so that others will wish to do the same. Amen.